There we go. Uh, make sure that we're on, on the screen too. So Back to Basics is a series, a seven-part series, and we're going to be looking at some foundational elements of, of truth, doctrines that kind of undergird the basic beliefs. The first one was about the Bible, Scripture. Um, and there, you, you might have heard of these as the seven S's. So we're going to be going through Scripture. Today is salvation. We're going to talk about the sanctuary, the Sabbath, the state of the dead, uh, and now I'm forgetting the last two. <laughs> um, second coming and there's another one. Anyway, you'll, you can pay attention in the next few weeks and you'll, you'll hear them all. But today we're talking about salvation. And I thought about how do, we, how do we look at this? Salvation is one of the most hotly debated and uh, divisive subjects in Christianity. If you really want to explore why, I did a series a couple of years ago called Get in the Boat. And you can find it on our YouTube channel, Get in the Boat. So that one's good, but I didn't want to really approach it from that direction. And so instead I thought, let's explore salvation from the experience side of things. So as, we, as I tell a story, I want you to engage not just your mind and not just theology, but engage your heart. Because salvation is about a choice, a choice that we have been given as a gift. Earlier this week, a group of explorers found a ship in one of the most difficult places that you could be looking, in the Antarctic Ocean, well, the South Ocean. And uh, right around Antarctica, there's uh, a ship sunk 10,000 feet underwater in ice, and it's called the Endurance. You know the Endurance? You've heard of the story before? A guy named Ernest Shackleton. Shackleton was determined to be the first one to get to the South Pole on Antarctica, and he failed because another guy, Raoul Amundsen, made it there just before him in December 1911. And so he decided that he would change his tactic and do something different. And he was going to land on one side of Antarctica and cross the pole and, and, and walk all the way on foot from one end of the continent to the other. And, and land on the other side. And hopefully his men would be around there to pick him up. And that was his idea. And so um, he started this ambitious journey that became known as the Imperial Trans-Antarctic Expedition. He had a crew of 27 men and they boarded this boat that you see in, on the screen, the Endurance. And they headed south. Now to, to get there, they, they first stopped at a place called South Georgia Island. And they left South Georgia Island, which is uninhabited. It just has a whaling um, station there for, for boats to go and, and do whatever whaling boats do. And uh, so they left South Georgia Island, and they were headed to Antarctica. Two days after leaving, they entered an ice pack. You can see some of that on the screen. There's just lots of ice that, that's there, and the boat can sail through it and push the ice aside. Um, but... If the, the ice pack gets too thick, then the boat might not be able to move. And that's what happened on January 18, 1915. A southern gale blew the ice really hard against the, the land, and it packed in against the, the boat. And the endurance was, was crushed there. Um, well, one guy, Thomas Ords Lees, said they were frozen like an almond in the middle of a chocolate bar. They couldn't move. And they, they were getting close to land, but once they got packed into this thing, the wind kind of changed around and they started to get moved out to sea and, and farther and farther away from land. Well, they, they first 
um, early on, they, they started to um, try to get to land. They, they climbed out of the boat and they tried to hike on top of the ice to get there. But uh, just because you saw how that ice was, uh, just because it's so chunky and, and difficult to uh, terrain, they were making something like one mile a day. And so after seven days, they decided to give up and come back. Eventually, uh, the, the endurance began to be crushed by the ice. And uh, Ernest Shackleton said, what the ice takes, it keeps. And so he told them to get all their stuff out of the boat, and they set up camp on top of the ice flow. And they let the, the ship, well, they didn't have a choice, but the ship just got crushed until it sank. On April 7, 1916, over a year after being trapped on the ice, they saw the snowy peaks of Elephant Island. Elephant Island is an island just off the tip of Antarctica, a long way from South Africa, but uh, not close enough to actually get to Antarctica. And Elephant Island was, uh, well, it wasn't the joyful sighting that they hoped for, that, they, that you might think. Because after they saw this, they realized that their ice was breaking up and they couldn't stay on the ice anymore. So they got into life rafts that they had rescued from the Endurance and they began to, to row these, these life uh, boats towards Elephant Island. And it took them days to get there. For six days, they rode, they rode and they rode, and, and they were facing um, winds and the, the water splashing, freezing cold water splashing into their boats and, um, you know, big ice, uh, ice that they were trying to navigate around and big waves. It just, it was not comfortable six days. And half their crew, one of them said, were basically insane because they were dealing with diphtheria, dysentery rather, and they were dealing with just the, the, the physical strain of the conditions they were going through. And so they land finally after six days on Elephant Island with no rescue ship on its way and no hope for survival because they're in a place that is desolate and frozen and no one is looking for them. Their situation was hopeless with no one looking for them. And that is really the situation we find ourselves in. If no one is looking for us, then we're hopeless. People want to think of themselves as basically good. Basically good. You know, and they, they, it's, it's like the world sees what God put in us. He calls it enmity against evil. And they see that and they're like, oh, that's just basic goodness. If given enough time and the right circumstances, then we'd all be good people. And we'd have a peaceful society with no war. And, and, and if we had just the right circumstances, the right education, the right financial basis, whatever it is, then life is going to be good for everybody. That's the theory. But there's no utopia. The reality is we can't find a solution to the basic problems of humanity like greed or lust or selfishness. Unlike the evolutionary theory that suggests that the human race is is um, advancing and evolving until it gets better and better. The Bible tells us that we were created in God's image and, and then we fell. We've made a choice to rebel against God. And as a result, we've separated ourselves from God. And it's that separation that's the source of all our problems. In Isaiah 59.2, we're told, your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. 
The problem with humanity is that they've rejected the life giver. The source of life is no longer the, the reason most people live. Instead, they live for themselves. They live for rebellion against the source of life. And it's kind of like those, those sailors on Elephant Island, separated from the source of life, the landmass that they can really live and thrive on. They're sick, they're dying, and they're stuck in a place with limited resources and no hope of long-term survival. Like those, those uh, sailors, we're in the same situation. We are, you might say, sin-sick. And we're dying without hope of, of salvation unless somebody comes to save us. In Romans 7, Paul says, The law is holy, the commandment holy and righteous and good. We know that the law is spiritual, but I'm flesh, sold under sin. And in verse 24, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? That's the question everybody's asking. Even if they don't know they're asking it, who's going to deliver me? And we try our best to save ourselves and to, to fix it. But we keep being beaten back as if we were trying, like one of those sailors, to jump in the water and swim their way to South Africa. It wouldn't work. You'd just be beaten back by all the ice and all the wind into the same place you were before. And the world doesn't really know it. But we're on borrowed time. Not, not that we have our own time and we're going to die someday, but we're on borrowed time. It's literally something that has been given to us by God. Our life is a gift from him. But the wages of sin, in Romans 6, 23, we're told the wages of sin is death. We're on borrowed time. Our separation from the life giver is a, a terminal condition. And if it's not for God's grace, then none of us would survive. As they pulled their boats out of the water, Ernest Shackleton knew that there was no way that any of them were, would survive until a ship happened upon them. Ships didn't happen upon Elephant Island. It's not a place that anybody went. And they'd never be, they'd never be rescued by a, a ship. And so he decided that he was going to go looking for help. He and a crew of five other men um, got in that boat right there that you see on the screen. They got in that boat, and they headed on an 800-mile journey to get back to South Georgia Island in the hope that they would find a whaling ship on, on, on South Georgia Island that would take them to South Africa that would uh, hopefully allow them to charter a boat and go back and pick up the 22 remaining crew members that were on Elephant Island. God had a similar problem. God created humans with all the love in his heart, but then they snubbed their nose at him and they joined the rebellion and they chose to do life without him. If, they, if he had given them what they seemingly wanted... Adam and Eve would immediately have lost their life because he is the one who gives life. But out of love and compassion, he preserved their lives so that they could have an opportunity to reconcile with God. For Adam and Eve and then for Abraham and then the Israelites, that opportunity was a, um, a sacrifice that reminded them of the, the Savior that was to come. But one day, 
A man named John the Baptist was standing beside the Jordan River and he was talking about the need for repentance and turning back to God and then he saw Jesus and he pointed his finger and he said, look there, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus himself described his rescue mission like this. He says in John three sixteen and 17, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You might think that that's an easy journey, but like Ernest Shackleton, he had a hard road or hard direction to row, you might say. It was a difficult thing for God to do. He gave his only son so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that in order that the world might be saved through him. Do you want a way out of the trouble you're in? Do you ever look around at your life and say, I need help? a solution to the problems you face. Do you need rescue? In John 14, 6, Jesus said to one gentleman, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is our way out, our rescue. But a lot of people think that God is cruel and mean and that uh, he's really just this angry guy who wants to destroy anybody who doesn't think the way he thinks or do the things he wants them to do. But Jesus showed us that God isn't like that. He told us who God is like by demonstrating the Father when he lived on earth. And he demonstrated that God is a a merciful and gracious God, that he's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Some people think that God's angry, and maybe God does get angry. But what parent doesn't get angry at their kid when they see their kid doing something they know is going to hurt them? And it's not that they're angry at the kid. It's they're angry at the circumstances that they find their kid in because they love their kid so much. And God is the same way. He is angry over sin. But he is not angry at his children. Who is a God like you, Micah 7.18 says, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression. He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. That's the God that created us and the God who is set out on a mission to redeem us. We're like those men shipwrecked on Elephant Island, but we have hope. We have hope because God came to earth in the form of Jesus to rescue us. He was pierced for our transgressions, Isaiah 53, 5 says. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement of our peace, and with his wounds we are healed. And Romans 5, 8 says, but God showed his love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is the God that says, I want to rescue you. It's not a God that we need to run from, but a God we need to run to. What would have happened if Shackleton, after his long voyage uh, to get a boat, had come back to Elephant Island with a boat, and some of the men had had looked at that boat and said, uh, you know, I think I've got this. Appreciate the offer, but uh, I'm going to go back to Antarctica. I'm just going to wait for the ice to freeze over here, and I'm going to walk back to Antarctica and, and finish the mission. Do you think that a person like that would have survived? No, most certainly they would have died. What about the person that says, I like the boat, but no thank you, I've got this on my own, and they jump in the water to swim on their own to South Africa? Do you think they could have made it? Besides the 1,200-mile trip, um, it's frozen. It is 
literally impossible for somebody to do that. They were lost and destined for death unless they've had a savior come and, and save them. There is no life apart from God. That's the reality of our, our existence. No life apart from God. And so if you recognize that, if you're like, I, I've got a problem, I need help, then what do you do? Acts 2 tells us what Peter said to some people. The, the very people who put Jesus on the cross, they asked him once they realized who Jesus was, they said, what should we do? And in Acts 2 verse 37, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. Repent it means to turn back from your rebellion and turn to God. Now, some people find themselves on Elephant Island spiritually, so to speak, and, and they realize their condition. Um, they realize that the fate of their direction in life is death. But uh, instead of repentance, what they get is, oh, I really wish I didn't have to die. That, that wouldn't be good. And so they don't like the idea of the consequences. There are many who fail to understand the true nature of repentance, Lots of people sorrow that they have sinned and even make an outward reformation because they fear that their wrongdoings will bring suffering upon themselves. But that's not repentance in the Bible sense. They, they're sorry for the suffering that they're going to experience, but not for the sin. But when the heart yields to the influence of the Spirit of God and the, the conscience is, comes alive again, the sinner will discern something of the depth and sacredness of God's law, the foundation of God's government in heaven and on earth. The light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world illumines those secret chambers of your heart and your soul, and the hidden things of darkness are shown to you. Conviction then takes hold, and you realize, I've got a problem. In your mind, in your heart, you know that there needs to be a change you have a sense of the righteousness of God, and you feel a terror of appearing in front of his throne with your guilt and your uncleanness for him to search your hearts. You see the love of God, the beauty of his holiness, the joy of his purity, and you long to be cleansed and to be restored to communion with heaven. That's what repentance is. David demonstrated this. And you can read about his story in Psalm 51. It's right after he raped Bathsheba and then murdered her husband to cover up his first sin. And he was faced with his sin. And instead of being sorry for the consequences, he was truly repentant. And he said this in Psalm 51, 4 through 8. Against you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Your judgment, God, is just and good. That's what he just said. Whatever consequences come on me, they are just. You are blameless. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness that the bones that you have broken may rejoice. A repentance like this is beyond the reach of our own hearts. It's a gift that's obtained only by Jesus giving it to us. He, 
in his words, ascended up on high to give gifts unto men. And one of those gifts is the gift of repentance, the gift of recognizing our need and recognizing God's holiness and desiring cleansing. The promise that he gives is in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, where he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You want the cleansing? He promises to give it if you just ask. It's a gift. In trying to illustrate the strength of God's rescue boat of salvation, many like to suggest that once you get in the boat, like you, if you were Ernest Shackleton's men, once you get in the boat, you're good. But some people, they like to jump out of the boat and still think they're in. If you get out of the boat of salvation, are you still saved? I just imagine that. You're, you're one of Ernest Shackleton's men. You've been there on Elephant Island almost for six months now. The boat comes, you get on, and about halfway home, you're like, you know, this has been fun, but I'm going to do this on my own now. You're still not going to survive. You got to stay in the boat. Jesus invites us in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You don't have to struggle anymore on Elephant Island. You're in the boat of salvation. Rest in me. Jesus said in John 15, 4 and 5, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Unless you're in the vine, in the boat. Thankfully, we need to accept the rescue boat. We need to get on it. We need to stay on it. Uh, There's no safety in stepping off the boat. But thankfully, Jesus promises that he's going to give us his Holy Spirit. And his Holy Spirit is there to to mature us, and to keep us connected to the vine. John 16, 7 and 8, he says, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because when I go away, I'm going to send the helper. He will come to you. And if I go away, I will send him to you. And he will come and he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. I'm going to send my spirit, he says. And it's because of the Holy Spirit that we have every impulse for good. Anything that you think that that would be better in your life, any desire for good that you have is a result of the Holy Spirit working on your heart. Can you imagine the joy? You're standing there on Elephant Island. It's really cold. And, And you're eating something like whale blubber. And a boat shows up from hopelessness to joy. But many who have given their hearts to Jesus, they see the boat, they accept it, they, they get on, they say, yes, Jesus, I'll take your, your gift. And then they, they kind of doubt and worry and have anxiety. Like, did it, did it take? Did it really work? I mean, did, did Jesus actually save me? They don't feel whole, and so they don't believe they are. In her book, Steps to Christ, Ellen White wrote this. Do not wait to feel that you are made whole, but say, I believe it. It is so, not because I feel it, but because God has promised. Jesus says, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them and you shall have them. Has God forgiven your sins? Oh, you may not feel it, but if you have confessed, he has promised to forgive. And so believe God's promise. 
The Bible promises, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's in Romans 8 verse 1. And in 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, not with, not with things that, that degrade and, and stop being effective, things like silver and gold. No, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. God's boat of salvation is sturdy. It is capable. When you say yes to Jesus, he is going to bring you to safety. Again, in that book, Steps to Christ, Ellen White said, it is his glory to encircle us in the arms of his love and to bind up our wounds and to cleanse us from all impurity. He says in Isaiah 44, 22, I have blotted out your transgressions like a cloud and your sins like mist. Return to me for I have redeemed you. God's promises are good. For 16 days, Shackleton's crew battled the waves The elements of nature were fighting against them. For 16 days, they rode those 800 miles. The wind, according to Shackleton, simply shrieked as it tore the tops off the waves, down into the valleys, up the tossing heights, straining until her seams opened, swung our little boat. Finally, they reached the wrong shore of South Georgia Island. The wind had blown them around to a side that was opposite of the whaling station. And so they got out of their boat, and three of the seven, went over the mountain and sliding down the, the glaciers until they finally, 36 hours later, arrived at that whaling station, coming from the complete wrong direction, not from the ocean, but from the uninhabited mountains. And the people that were miraculously there, a whaling boat was sitting in that station, they were shocked. They said, who are you? To which he said, I am Sir Ernest Shackleton. And they took, they went around and they got the rest of the men and they took them to South Africa. Shackleton found a ship. But before they got to the Elephant Island, they ran out of fuel, dangerously low on fuel, I should say, headed back. It was a failed attempt. Somebody else loaned him another ship. And while the captain of the Endurance uh, while, while he was doing that, trying to get back to these men, and it took him several months to do that, the captain of the Endurance was there on Elephant Island with his men. You can see some boats there on the screen. They've turned them upside down, and they've made the homes in there uh, where they would um, eat and, and uh, live. But every single morning, the captain of the Endurance would tell the men, lash up and stow your belongings. The boss may come today. The boss may come today. Every single day, he held on to hope, hope that their savior would come soon. The government of Uruguay offered a second ship to Shackleton, and it came within 100 miles of Elephant Island before not being able to go any further because of all the ice that was there. They headed back. Shackleton procured a third ship from Chile and headed to Elephant Island for the third time. And finally, on August 30, 1960, as the men were settling down to a lunch of boiled seal's backbone, they saw the rescue ship appearing. And within an hour of its arrival, they had broken down camp and gotten on that boat. They knew where their safety was. They didn't wait. They didn't say, well, maybe another boat's going to come. They said, yes, six months of that, and I'm done. I need this salvation. 
Every member of the endurance was saved. Alive. God says, I have no pleasure in the death of anyone. So turn and live. Please get on the boat. Jesus went through great trial to achieve your salvation. It was not an easy task. He poured out all of heaven. Every resource that heaven had to offer was poured into this work of saving you and me. Including the life of God himself. Shackleton after such a great effort to try to get him, get them, he arrived and he charged them a toll as they got on, right? <laughs> I'd love to take you on the ship, but it cost a lot. Can you please pay me for this? Be- no, before you get on. Is that how he did it? Not at all. He, he poured out everything so that he could save his 22 men, and he saved them. He was successful, and God has poured out everything to save you and I, and he does not charge us a toll. It is a gift, not because we deserve it, but because he loves us so much. There's a, a verse in the Bible uh, where Jesus, I don't have it written down, but it came to mind, and I need to tell it to you. Jesus says that God loves me so much because I was willing to lay down my life for you. You could say that differently. God loves Jesus. Let me say that. God loves us so much that he even loves Jesus more because Jesus was willing to give his life for us. That's his great love for you and me. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. He who has no money, Come, buy, eat. I've done everything necessary to provide this for you. Just come. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live and I will make you an everlasting covenant. My steadfast love. There's a terrible danger. A danger not sufficiently understood in delaying to yield to the pleading voice of God's Holy Spirit. When you see the boat, that's the time to get in. In choosing to live in sin... For such delay really is choosing to live in sin. However small it may be esteemed, sin being indulged is at the peril of infinite loss. You can't stay on the island and hope for another ship. There's no one else coming to save you. In 2 Corinthians 6, 2, we're told, Now is the favorable time. Now is the day of salvation. In Hebrews 3, 7, and 8, it says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. I pray that you'll say yes to Jesus. Maybe for the first time in your whole life, that you'll say, yes, I see the boat of salvation. I see God's great love for me, and I want cleansing. I pray you'll say yes to him. And maybe it's something that you've said yes to him before, And today you're saying, I have turned away from him and I need to turn back. He's given you that opportunity and all he says to you is, please, please accept me. And maybe this is something you've done every day for the last many years. You say, Jesus, my life is yours. Well, I encourage you you as well. Say it today. My life is yours. Jesus, your salvation. I accept it. There's one more promise in the story of redemption. 
A promise that's tightly connected to salvation. And it's kind of like those men sitting there on Elephant Island waiting for the ship to arrive. Our spiritual salvation is secured. Our salvation boat has arrived. But we're still on this earth. There is a physical salvation that God promises. He promises to glorify us and take us to heaven. Jesus in John 14 said, don't let your heart be troubled. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If there were not so, I would, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and, you, and will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. Like the captain of the endurance, the Bible is inviting us to lash up and stow your spiritual riches because the boss may be coming today. There is hope. Jesus himself said in Revelation 22, Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me. And then in verse 20, Surely I come soon. It's a guarantee. And I would say, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Would you stand with me?